information. Let's move on. <laughs> Nehemiah. Uh, just, to, just to kind of get us up to speed with uh, this guy here, he's uh, heard a report. He's, so he's one of the exiles is in Susa. He's in southeast Iran, as we know it today. And uh, this guy, uh, Hanani, in verse 2 of chapter 1, has come to him and told him that, uh, uh, just reminded him that Jerusalem, the walls have been sacked, the gates have been burned. It's, it just looks a ruin. And he's, he's desolate. He's heartbroken. He's gone to the king. King, please, release us. That, uh, release me. He's a, he's a high-ranking civil servant. I was cupbearer to the king. So he's a senior figure, one of very few probably to be trusted by the king, Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes not only lets him go, but sends letters of commendation and provides security for his passage. So uh, it's a few months' travel, maybe, to get to Jerusalem. And uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago how this vision had, had kind of burned in him. We were, part of our response was those of us who were kind of longing to see something birthed in our lives. It might be a a piece of work, it might be um, a relationship, it might be something that we're, you know, just we're working on that God has given us. Uh, and, well, Nehemiah's example would appear to be that we, you know, we let it sit and burn and, 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 and kind of seize us. Because um, all this thinking on Nehemiah, and he hasn't even got to Jerusalem. So we, here we are, verse 11, and uh, he finally arrives. I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I'd not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no uh, no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who'd be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Father, speak to us in this little episode in Nehemiah's autobiography as he carries this vision to see the city rebuilt. Speak to us as we, in the rebuilding, transforming process, we seek to do your will in our lives for your glory. So speak to us now, we pray, through your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So here he is, he's... um, He's sought the king, he's uh, got the provisions, he's made this uh, long journey. Again, commentators think uh, weeks, if not months, to go from Susa uh, to Jerusalem. 
And what I want to do this evening um, is, I just want to pick out, I'm, I'm literally just going to, it's like a sort of carcass here, I'm just going to pick, pick off the sort of chunks of meat, uh, and, and hopefully they, uh, you know, one or other of them will apply. Uh, and there's one thing in particular I want to sort of major on, as we look at the workings of Nehemiah, he's kind of given us this, his workings, if you like, this is what I was doing, this is what I was thinking, this is how I went about the task. So do you know, I just, uh, I'm going to throw out four things, um, that he rested, that he, he carried an inspection at night, that uh, the way in which he sold the vision to the, the nobles and uh, priests, uh, and uh, just a bit on that phrase, verse 17, that we'll no longer be in disgrace. And, and then the main bit I want to major on, so I'll just touch on those, is I, I've not told anyone. Interesting, what's, what's, what's behind that as, as he describes that for us? So, um, long journey, uh, gets to Jerusalem. I love this verse. I mean, wouldn't he have been champing at the bit? He's been carrying this vision for, for months before he sees the king. Then the king finally says, yeah, fine, off you go. And it's another few weeks or months before he even gets there. It's, it's been the best part of a year that he's just had Project Jerusalem in his, in his heart and mind, in his head, uh, thinking about this. And yet when he gets to Jerusalem, he stays three days. It's probably tired from the trip. Um, I mean, it's perfectly legitimate. I think just to have, have a break, acclimatise, just, you know, unpack your bags, get yourself in a place where you can lead, where you can resource this vision that God's given you. Don't, don't start out something so significant that God has given you in an exhausted or, or, or sort of thinned out state. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days... So it's just, I mean, we're in a, a kind of fast-paced city. I don't need to tell you that. We've kind of driven 24-7. Our phones are pinging in, so those red dots appear all over the screen. It's email. Everything. Demand, demand, demand. So many things to do. Worthy things to do. Good things to do. Get to the place. Get to a place. For, for Nehemiah, it's Jerusalem. Wherever it is for you. You know, a, a kind of favourite armchair or... Uh, I don't know, just a place where you regularly review with the Lord. It could be on your commute. You can zone out, put the, put the ears in and, and, and zone out. Wherever it is and however it is. And stay there. Stay there every now and then. So Nehemiah, he didn't race in. He stayed there. I've said this before, but I think it's worth repeating that in the, in the, the pattern of creation, Genesis 1, the, the, the days of creation, and human beings made as the culmination of creation, there's land and sea and there's birds and beasts and fish of the sea. There's all the sort of, the, you know, the uh, crops of the fields. There's, there's this whole creation unfolds. And then humankind placed as the very crowning glory of creation. What's the very first thing that they experience? The end of day six, it's day seven, Sabbath. The very first thing that God says is go forth and multiply, be fruitful and subdue the earth, steward the earth. He gives them something to do. There's a work mandate. We're created to work, to be busy, to be active with the vision of God, but not before we've rested. God's mandate is that we work from rest, not the other way around. When we work, exhaust ourselves and go, oh God, I need a weekend or I need a bank holiday. I need a break. He creates us for a break from which we work. Now, in practice, that's, that's really difficult to, to work out uh, in a world that doesn't understand that. It's configured to be, in a sense, the complete opposite. Get your pound of flesh from the employees. 
But, but let's at least have that as a mindset. He got to Jerusalem and then he just stayed there, working from rest, so that he's resourced for the work that God's calling him to. So that's um, the first little nugget. I set out verse 12 during the night. I just think that's, there's some wisdom there. Doesn't, I mean, he, I know he's gone to the king, he's got letters from the king, he's got all the permission. And yet he knows already Sanballat and Tobiah have raised their heads and that they're going to be a theme all the way through this letter. He knows there's opposition. He probably knows, he thinks about it, that they've set up one or two people to be spies within the camp. There are people who are kind of, keep an eye on Nehemiah and report back to me. I want to know what he's up to. So this first inspection for himself, he's heard other reports, but let me see for myself. And he does that at night. Which actually, if you think about it, it's probably quite a hazardous thing to do. I mean, if you're on a horse and there's rubble and there's one bit, isn't there, in the, in, just in the description. He goes to and fro. Um, um, yeah, anyway, verse 14. I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. Presumably because the wall, all the rubble from the wall, it's just piles of bricks and detritus everywhere. The, the, the horse can't get through. So at night, presumably quite hazardous. And yet that's what he's prepared to do in order to have a, a discreet, wisely discreet, in first-hand inspection where he's untroubled by potential enemies uh, and uh, ridiculers, mockers and the like. People who will undermine his work. There's something about paying close attention to the work that God has given you secretly. I'll come on and say a little bit more about that in a minute. Third thing, I love just, uh, do you notice in verse 17? No, let's go from verse 16. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. And then verse 17, he obviously gathers them, and he said, then I said to them, we presume those people, the, the, the teams who are going to do this massive building project. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And again, we just, just remind ourselves that this guy's sort of you know, flown in from Susa, from one of the, the great capital where King Artaxerxes exerts uh, all his rule and authority. And he's, he's kind of high-ranking civil servant. He's, he's, he's one of the king's men. And here he is, come to this place that has been sacked by the Babylonians. Uh, it, it could easily be perceived that he's one of the enemy or snooping around with some kind of alter, alternative uh, motive or agenda. And so what, he, what does he do to, to win the people, to bring them on side? You see the trouble we're in, not the trouble you're in and you guys better get to work. I, I own this project. I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm doing my bit. I'm getting fully involved. Let us rebuild the wall. Whatever it costs, all the, the work, the energy, the effort, the sacrifice, I'm with it. I'm with you in it. I'm told, I'm sure people who know better than me will put me wrong, but I, and I can't remember where I heard this, but I, I, I'm told that uh, the All Blacks rugby team, New Zealand rugby union team, uh, they, if, if after a, a game, if one of their players hasn't been voted man of the match, then they vote, it's gone to the opposition, then they vote their own player of the, of the match. And that person is the one who sweeps the dressing room. So that as a team, they leave the dressing room cleaner than they found it. It's just part of their kind of you know, pride. But it's the man of the match who does it. Uh, 
I think that probably says quite a lot as to their team ethic and why they are such a successful team, that there are no kind of, no kind of hierarchies of importance. And, and so too with Nehemiah, and so too with, with us. When we work on something, we, we, we give ourselves, even if we're in a position of influence or leadership, we give ourselves to it every bit as much as everyone else. What's, fourthly, and, and final sort of nugget bit, if you like, what's inspiring Nehemiah? And I'm, I'm struck by this little, well, actually by this, this sort of refrain. There's about three or four times in the first two chapters alone where um, Nehemiah rehearses this thing, that the walls lie in ruins or are broken down and it gate, its gates have been burned by fire. That, that comes time and time again. It's in the first report, um, verse, chapter 1 of verse 3. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, he hears, and its gates have been burned with fire. And he repeats the same thing to Artaxerxes in chapter 2. He says, I, you know, my face is sad, I'm downcast because... Jerusalem's walls lie in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. And that's what he repeats to, the, um, uh, to the, his team. Uh, you see that we are in trouble. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. See, it's like, you know when, you know when there's a kind of, well, just a really well-worn story and it, it gets told so many times it almost, it almost becomes scripted. And, you, you know, it's got a sort of certain meter or rhythm uh, as it's been honed. And so you, you just learn its walls are being destroyed and its gates are being burned with fire. As you get kind of lardy dyed along, it kind of, it sits really heavily. And yet, you know, this, is, this, is, this is, if you like, the sort of the, the, the objective, the mission statement. We've got to rebuild the city because its walls lie in ruins and its gates have been burned by fire. So why are we doing this? Because its walls have been, you know, we sort of rehearse the mantra. But that isn't actually what's inspiring Nehemiah. It's not that he wants to build a gleaming city, as good as that would be. And, and here the, the sort of applicatory links are with what we're doing behind us here at, at St. Diamonds. Because I don't need to remind you that, in fact, a number of people have said, oh, I love meeting in the mission hall, because, you know, it's light and there are no trip hazards on the floor and there's a choice of toilets. <laughs> and there's a kitchen on site. <laughs> Spoiled. Uh, and the plans are, I mean, we, how we've done just hands up to all of you, uh, you know, real like a uh, honouring to all of you who've done Alpha, for example, where you know we had to cook the food on a different site across a road and sort of wheel it across in a rickety trolley, looking like acorn antiques, you know, <laughs> soup anyone, uh, uh, hoping that half the dinner survives the crossing. Uh, it's, it's still vaguely warm by the time you get to Alpha. I see Sarah Ward and others who've laboured intensely to make sure that happens, but you know. How that, how that building is in desperate need of refurbishment, and we're well on the way. We had a site meeting, just sorry, a little segue. We had a, a site meeting uh, the other day, so we were able to stand on top of the kitchen pod now, which is like going to be a sort of prayer space or kind of, kind of worship space. It's, it's, you, you'd have a small life group there. It's just a beautiful little space above the kitchen pod. They put the stairs in now, it looks fantastic. Uh, and they put the stairs in the mezzanine, um, uh, so the, the, the vestry and the infill are pretty much complete structurally. Uh, it's just looking really exciting. Back in. It's not about the building. As, as much as I would love to have a, to hire out a building to, to the locals where the toilets are fantastic, the lights are brilliant, there's no trip hazards, it looks really good, blah, 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 blah. All of that's good and important. You know what it is? It's that all the while that building has been frankly gloomy, looked closed, looked uninviting, shoddy. It's been, in a way, a disgrace to the Lord. Our archdeacon describes the church buildings, the bricks and mortar, as, as sacraments in, in brick and stone. A sacrament, 
but like these baptisms coming up, it's, it's an outward sign of an inner reality. We will dunk some people in, or they'll dunk themselves by reaffirming their vows in water to signify the fact that we are washed on the inside. We do an outward bit that, that denotes what God alone can do inside us, cleansing us and refreshing us, watering us. That's a sacrament. And uh, in a sense, that building is a sacrament. It will, it will tell a story, either that this building is fit for purpose and looked after and cared for, or kind of not. He goes farther, the archdeacon, he talks about, um, you know, when you, you drive past a building, a, a church building, that obviously was, you know, it's a kind of pointy building and a steeple or a tower, whatever. Obviously a kind of church in the traditional sense, but it's been sold and it's now a, a block of flats or a, a sort of set of lawyers' offices and suites or a carpet shop or whatever it might be. And he says people walking past, it, again, it's a sacrament, it will tell a story, it doesn't, it doesn't just not be a church. His phrase is, it's, it's become the empty palace of a long-dead king in people's minds. They say, oh yeah, we used to, we used to be a Christian country. Oh yeah, we, people used to go to church, but not anymore, look. There's another empty palace of the long-dead king. And, and the reason why we're doing the refurb here, why you have so sacrificially given so many of you, thank you, in financial terms to enable us to, to, to instruct the work that we have, although we're not quite able to instruct all the work because we haven't quite got all the money, just a little segue there, come back in again. Uh, but the reason why you have given so sacrifices, why, why we have to set up and set down in here and all the sort of inconvenience is because, because we want God's name honoured through that building. In, in renewing and refurbing the building, it's, it's God's name that is honoured. And, and way after all of us in this room have moved on, there will still be a pile of bricks and stone there that will be now arrayed in a way that says, welcome, and God is alive, and we love you to encounter him through us. So that his name is honoured, and we are no longer a disgrace. It's not... Please don't take it. You don't understand. You're not a disgrace. I mean, you guys work against the building. That's the thing. We've, we've been a sort of best-kept secret. If only people, more and more people, could encounter us, the, the church. But it's the bricks and mortar that prevent that happening. We're changing that. And then unleashing you. Unleash the church. <laughs> I can't wait. To the honour and the glory of God. That's... that's that's what we do. That's what made Nehemiah tick. So that when, and we're going to hear about this, I think, if Matt preaching and others, we're going to hear about the opposition, about the tough times, about all sorts of de- de- decisions that Nehemiah's got to wait, that, make that could weigh him down. And, and what is it that sustains him when, when the going gets tough, when the, you know, the, the, the initial sort of gloss and enthusiasm wears off? What keeps him going? It's not that we're just building a wall or just renewing a city. As, as good as that would be, that I venture to suggest that wouldn't sustain him. It's, it's that we are no longer a disgrace. That God is no, he's honoured for who he is. And that's made evidence through the building and the rebuilding of the walls. Ditto, ditto across here. Keep, please keep praying in these next few months and towards the relaunch and the reopening in, we hope, October time, uh, or the autumn time, but hopefully before October actually. Um, uh, yeah, big, big release, big unveil. And uh, a new era for God's church in Parsons Green. So, so Nehemiah, he took some time to rest. He was discreet at night. He, um, 
he was sensible about how he went about the project. He got involved, let us rebuild, and uh, he, he did this all, what was ultimately driving him, the, the fact that he could give this to God and his glory alone. But here's, here's the thing, this is the final, I want to finish just on this. In verse 12, it's this little line, which I'm really struck by. I set out during the night with a few others. I'd not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And he sort of backs that up down in verse 16. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who'd be doing the work. Now he does. He goes on to sell the vision, verse 17, and then get them involved. And the, from then on, it's a, it's a massive, mobilized effort. But, but to start with, I'd not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do. And he, he carries out this inspection before he tells anyone. He goes at night so that people don't see. And he, he goes with this horse. He goes round and back. He looks at everything, every gate, every part of the wall, what's still standing, what's not standing. Where is the most amount of work needed? Where is it probably okay? Where do we need to focus our resources? What's the need? And in his mind, he's thinking, what's this going to cost? How many men will I need? And women and children, probably, in some, just with the, the whole effort. What's going to be the sacrifice on wives and families if I take the men to do the work? Uh, where am I going to get the resources? How much will that cost? How am I going to... Um, the equivalent of health and safety, risk assessments, all of that stuff. I mean, it happened in some way, shape or form, I imagine, back in the day. All that stuff. He's thinking alone. He's, he's working. I didn't tell anyone, not told anyone. Now, there's a few of us who are kind of directly involved in the, in the project next door. Maybe some of you are involved in, I don't know, redecorating a room or putting a side extension on or whatever. But there's probably most of us in the room, we're not, we're not involved in a building project in the way that Nehemiah is, or in the way that, you know, as a, as a church, we are across the way. But actually, I want to argue that every single one of us, that's exactly why we're here. It's why we count ourselves as part of the church. We're all of us building Christian character. Every single one of us is looking to build more and more of Christ in us, so that when we're knocked, what spills out is not a, a sin reaction, but Christ. We, we, don't, we don't react when we're behind the wheel of the car to someone cutting us up with what's colloquially known as a road rage, which is basically anger, which is basically sin. If we just call it as it is. Uh, what about a, oh, God bless you. <laughs> you appear to be driving in an interesting way. Let me give you space to do that. Irritated in the queue or the checkout or because the cash point won't give me my cash within 15 seconds of my pressing the buttons. I mean, I remember because I've confessed how old we are now. Do, I, I remember when the only way to get here, I've wanted to, I'm sorry to draw you in, Sarah, I, I really, yeah. But you kind of, yeah, 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 exactly, I've got it too. When the only way to get cash was you had to go to the post office and write a cheque and cash a cheque to get cash. It didn't have holes in the walls. So I, I honestly remember that. Slightly gone off one. Where was I? <laughs> Character. Character. We're all in the building industry. We're all building character. Here's the thing, in a... In a in an age, in an era now, where we love to, to just self-disclose on social media. When was the last time you, you, you took a, 
a walk around the walls of your life at night without telling anyone and where no one could see. When you, as they say, you took a good, long, hard look at yourself. When did I take a good, long, hard look at myself? I'm, uh, there's a sort of species, since I've married, mentioned married couples, there, there is a species that God recognises needs so much work that it, it, they tend to, he tends to give them wives to help them in the whole process. <laughs> People who live close enough to see and to help with that inspection. But it, maybe you've got a, a housemate or a family member. Because here's the thing. I've not told anyone, he says. Not the officials, not the Jews. Not the, but do you see verse 12? I set out during the night with a few others. He wasn't completely alone. This was a time when he wasn't going to fanfare at large. He was going to be discreet. He was going to go at night. Was, in, in a sense, there was a sort of a quiet place. The, the secrecy, the time just to to assess himself, but he had one or two others. I, I, I imagine, I don't know, I, now, I'm, now I am sort of riffing, but I, as I've just been thinking about that, you know, is he, this is maybe the first time, he's, he's had months and months and months of the walls lying ruins and the gates burn with fire, and he's, he's imagined what that maybe looks like, and then he actually goes around, and I imagine there at times he's going, oh, good grief, this is worse than I thought. Maybe there's an element of external processing, and one or two of these guys, they hear him, in his, in his lowest moments. Maybe when his faith begins to waver. Oh, I, don't, I think I've bitten off more than I can chew. This, this, this isn't going to happen. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how we're going to do this. And he's got, he's got one or two with him to, to hold him to account. No, remember what God said. Artaxerxes, the king, he's given you provision, plans, he's given you protection. This was the, the favour of God on you. In fact, that's what he says later on to, to Sambalat. The God of heaven will give us success, verse 20. I bet there were times when he doubted that. I bet there were times when he wavered. And building his trust in this God of provision happens in the secret times and the dark times and the alone times and the on my own times when we deliberately pursue those times to be with God and God alone. That we're not sort of buoyed by a kind of social Christianity. That I, I come along and show my face. And if I'm here enough, then maybe you'll assume that I'm reading my scriptures on a regular basis. That I'm setting aside time to pray. That I'm chewing over them and thinking about what this means for me. That I'm, I'm training myself in little bits of discipline day by day. In the way I think and speak and the things I say. I'm, I'm training myself. I'm not trying to be a Christian because we'll fail, but I'm training to be a Christian. Just as if you told me to run the marathon tomorrow, I couldn't possibly. But if you gave me six months and allowed me to train, I reckon I could in a fashion. <laughs> I, I, if you asked me to play the piano, I, there's, there's no way I could play one of those courses. I just couldn't. But if you gave me enough time and I practiced and practiced a little bit, just A, B, C, or Do, Re, Mi, da, 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 and I practice and practice, build it up, build it up, eventually I'll be able I, If you gave me enough time, probably quite a lot of time, <laughs> I pretty much guarantee I'll be able to do it. If I train, I can do it. If you train, you can live Christ-like lives. Don't, don't try to be like Jesus, because we'll try and we'll fail. But if we train... But where do you need to train? Where are you spiritually unfit? Where is the wall of your life creaking or tumble down? Where is that rubble? And have you got, as you think about that 
on your own? Have you got someone uh, with a few others? Have you got someone riding with you who can see particularly in your, in your blind spots? I, I reflect, again, just uh, how grateful I am to, to Joe for kind of hanging in there and helping me with one or two of my many <laughs> blind spots. Uh, timekeeping was, was one. Still, I still have to work at that. I'm not great at time. I'm not, I'm not massively late, but just five minutes here, seven minutes here. And I think, oh, it's okay. My blind spot was, I thought, oh, it's okay. I'm only a bit late. And I needed Joe and, and the kids. Actually, what really hit it home was when I, one of the kids let slip that when we agree a time, we're going to all get in the car to go somewhere, and mummy tells the kids, mummy tells daddy to be there half an hour earlier than she tells the kids. And that, they let that slip. So that there's a chance that maybe daddy and the kids will turn up on time. And it was a sort of ee funny joke. But actually, that's not that funny. I'm, I'm kind of head of the family. I'm, I have an influence that I bear on the family. And that is, that's setting a poor example. And it's saying, you're not valued. You turn up on time, but daddy, daddy kind of doesn't. What's that about? I was a little, but I couldn't kind of see that. The impact it was having on family life. Joe helped me to see that. She's riding with me in the dark at night as I'm inspecting the walls of my life and seeing where there are holes and gaps that need rebuilding. I've not told anyone, Nehemiah says, what my God had put in my heart to do. He inspects the walls. He sees the job at the task. And as we're going to find out as we work our way through Nehemiah, he, he gets that task done. But it needed this this lonely, quiet inspection. And, and maybe this bank holiday weekend, and uh, got time off work tomorrow, uh, I hope. So one or two, I saw Jane as a doctor racing off to A&E, uh, poor thing, to work this morning. So maybe some of you are at work over this weekend. But for most of us, we have space. Maybe it's an opportunity to ride alone, or maybe one or two others, uh, and inspect what it is that God is building in us. The walls of our lives, our character, our Christ-likeness. So that like the building points to the glory of God, our lives even more so as we encounter others who don't yet know him or are in trouble or need him in some way. Our lives point to the goodness, the greatness of our God. The God of heaven will give us success. And we, his servants, Nehemiah says, will start rebuilding. God be the glory. Amen. Let's be still for a moment. things that God is going to do in and through Nehemiah, great things that God is and going to do through you. Each and every one of you is a privilege to stand up in front of you, to look out and to see just who God has created here, birthed you, nurtured you, brought you to this point. You've all got a story that is rich in the things and the favour and the blessing and the gifting of God. Maybe an opportunity just now and in perhaps this next 24 hours to go for a walk around the walls of our lives, to inspect them, 
is to ask the Lord to show us what needs rebuilding or building up, what needs strengthening. Who is there in my life who can help me, show me, encourage me, be there with me? thing about the Spirit, the beautiful thing is, is the conviction of the Spirit. It is a beautiful thing. It's the complete opposite of condemnation. That's the enemy's tool and it's blunt, it's pretty obvious and it just, it's like slime. It's just, it's, it just, it traps you, it kind of, you all, it's accusatory. And in Christ we simply tell that voice to go. But the conviction is, is often so precise. It's a particular thing. And always behind it is hope. And freedom. And release. Behind it are all the resources of God to get you from the place that you're in to where he's calling you to be. He's, he gives you the way ahead. He gives you the, the fuel. He gives you the resources. And that, that's what lies behind. The, but you, you just need to move from here. You need to repent of that. You need to pay attention to this. It's a particular thing. It might be a relationship. Maybe a particular element of that relationship. A working one, a romantic one. Household, family. It may be a fear or anxiety that you're kind of holding on to. Even though you kind of, kind of know that he says, cast all your cares on me. He says, come to me, you're weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. For those of us who are fixers, trying to do it in our own strength. A particular thing, it's like a, just pointing his finger. And if you've got the courage, allow the spirit to work in that moment. As you feel the prick of his conviction, trust him that it's good, that he's good. This is going to release you into greater life. through us, to sit on us and in us.